Hello listener, my name's Ben Tajay. You're listening to my exuberant tones, and I am about to discuss the world of fringe comedy in the UK with the wonderful Sarah Shulman of Comedy Bloggerty. I am currently a performer and a maker of things, but who knows, by the time this interview's over, I could have uh, changed and gone on to other things, such as my impetuous nature. Uh, things about me you might like to know. I like falling in love. I like meeting other people and I love sleeping, but also food, water and shelter, the classics. If you like the sound of me from this interview, follow me on Twitter at Ben Target or book my face on Facebook. Uh, ben Target, there's a picture of me. Uh, I'm completely pink. Uh, you can also, if you really want to get in touch, there's my email address at the bottom of my uh, delightful website, uh, which is bentarget.com. I hope you enjoy this, and if you don't, well, I'm afraid you're not going to get any of these minutes back to live. Bye. So, Ben, how did you get into comedy? Well, hello, Sarah. I got into comedy through two friends, Joe Parham, who currently writes for Cartoon Network, and Mark Cooper-Jones, who currently uh, uh, gigs with the sketch group Wit Tank. So I was living in Paris, working as a, an English teacher, and I decided I wanted to become a doctor, so moved to the UK to pursue that, and headed up to the Edinburgh Fringe over the summer. Caught up with these uh, two old friends, and uh, was just instantly inspired by uh, watching them on stage and thought that looks way more fun than studying medicine. So I agreed to move to London with Mark and we lived together in a flat in London Bridge and slowly crept onto the open mic circuit. That's how it began. Complete accident. So what was your first gig like? Right, so Mark and I, well Mark was studying at the at King's College London and they had a comedy society. I wasn't at university at the time, so I had to sort of creep into their meetings. Their security guards came on watch or whatever at six o'clock, and the meeting was at seven, so I had to get into the building before six and hang around. Uh, so my first gig was a King's College London open mic, and it was a proper open mic, not just comedians, but musicians, people reading out poems, and there were two guys on the bill who claimed to be to doing comedy, one of which was me. Uh, and I'm not sure it was really comedy. It was kind of ideas more or less that I'd had on the way there. Uh, but it was, it, was, uh, it was fun nonetheless, and it made me want to continue. So what did you do on your first gig? What kind of material? I had lots of uh, lists uh, which were sort of aspects of my personality I found risable and wanted to share with the audience. I had um, some observations about uh, growing up abroad and moving around a lot. And I also had a sleeping bag, which at the very start of the gig I opened extremely slowly. Uh, there was some sort of punchline to that. And then at the very end of the, sli uh, the set, I got into the sleeping bag and sung a song uh <laughs> it was quite strange um but the thing i noticed was that uh i i managed to hold the attention of the audience rather than make them laugh and that 
made me think, well, if I can get their attention, if, if I can then learn how to, I don't know, write jokes or be stupid, then um, maybe I can, I can make them laugh as well. Yeah. So how often did you start gigging after your first gig? After my first gig, there was probably a, about a two-month break. <laughs> then I did about probably a gig a week. And I more or less relied on the Wit Tank boys to find me gigs. Uh, I wasn't bold enough to chase them myself. So I, I, I began gigging with a lot of their contemporaries like Nish Kumar and Ed Gamble. And I would travel a lot. I'd go up to Leeds University to gig with people like Chris Quayle and Patrick Turpin and I'd head off to other unis, uh, Cambridge, to gig with people who are now in sketch groups such as Sheep. So I, I sort of, um, I guess it progressed from one gig a week maybe to, uh, you know, two fairly quickly. And by, by the time I, so I, be, I began in uh, 2009 in about April, and by the by the fringe, the Edinburgh fringe, uh, I'd done maybe about 20 gigs. And then at the Edinburgh fringe, I did as much as possible, and I really got stuck in. And after that, it was a proper regular hobby, yeah. So how do you go about writing your material? It's evolved hugely. I began writing everything out in <laughs> script form with with a uh, sort of a ridiculous amount of detail, absolute, uh, absolutely nonsensical, really, so down to the sort of socks that I would wear at the gig and the colour of the shirt that I wanted to wear and uh, a list of everything that I'd bring. And that was just too time-consuming and I didn't really feel like it, uh, <laughs> it merited the show at all. Um, I tried many, many different methods uh, getting up in the morning early and writing, writing on the way to gigs, and that I eventually managed to find that coming to a show with ideas and then going up and doing it and seeing what the audience's response was actually a better and quicker way uh, to get material together. So it was more of a, a devised process. And you use a lot of props and visual jokes so did you always want to perform that style of comedy uh no it, it was accidental i well when i first started stand-up i didn't really know much about it um i'd never really watched it it wasn't something that i grew up with and when i did see see it uh in the clubs i didn't i wasn't that attracted to it and i thought well the the form is great. It's wonderful that you can stand in front of an audience and deliver ideas, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I started exploring what that could mean and discovered as I was writing my first solo show that um, I, I, I had a natural uh, ability of, you know, using objects to make people laugh. So, you know, the visual aspects are very important to me now. They They... I, I guess they're certainly central to what I have been doing. I'm trying to evolve again, so we'll see what happens next. And you often write in the Welcome Collection in Euston. So do you feel that you have to write in a particular type of venue or creative location to inspire your writing? I'm not sure I feel I have to. 
but certainly writing in different locations has produced a certain flavor to the to to parts of the work the welcome collection was an accidental discovery i was moving house i didn't have the internet i wanted a library and they have a great library but it was founded by this uh, sort of eccentric businessman henry welcome who i saw possibly you know in in maybe this is a completely arrogant but I saw a lot of aspects in his upbringing that were in mine and also he collects objects mad objects and I was developing this kind of this on-stage persona that was part sort of like a crap sorcerer <laughs> as someone once described it aptly and uh, kind of like a modern day medicine man uh, you know going around telling people how they should live and I thought if I could write the first show in here, perhaps, you know, I could somehow channel Henry Welcome's energy into it. And he was a huge inspiration for it, certainly. Would you ever return to, or would you ever try straight stand-up with no props now? Yeah, certainly. It's a challenge, and I'm very excited by challenges. You know, I really like to crack puzzles and make things, and I... I think it would be very interesting, certainly for people who have watched me, to come and see a show that was just what is called straight stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a, it would be an interesting challenge to crack. And you're renowned for the imagination and creativity that you employ in your shows and your sets, um, and sometimes they verge on the bizarre. So have you found that audiences have always reacted well? And if they don't, how do you cope with an audience that doesn't seem to quite get what you're doing well i suppose uh well everyone i've encountered in in comedy has had rough gigs and good gigs and people who do and don't get their material in general i think if people don't find me funny they are baffled enough to (laughs) to be uh you know to not feel too um disappointed by having to have endured me on stage Uh, I think um, I've learned that I do want to try and make everyone in the audience laugh but at the same time you can't and that's you know that's something you have to accept and actually that to a certain extent drives the direction of where you want to take people as you were saying, you've performed at the Edinburgh Festival and you've performed now for several years. And in 2011, you performed a 39-minute show on the Free Fringe. And your debut hour, which you performed last year and was called Discover Bentage, was a 53-minute show, uh, which earned you a nomination for the Foster's Edinburgh Comedy Award for Best Newcomer. So what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far? Mostly, it's been absolutely wonderful. It's been a real uh, place of seeking out camaraderie and uh, and exploring um, how to interact with people when you're on stage. I've had a... Oh, I, I spent four years going up as an audience member because my brother lived in Edinburgh, so it was always a good excuse to go and visit him. Uh, but performing has been so much more fun than going to shows. Uh, and it's treated me really well. <laughs> You know, I think more or less the the last show I wrote was a Fringe show and it was written for Edinburgh as a kind of love letter to the Fringe, more or less. 
And in your show last year, for example, when you have the humiliation stick, did you ever feel that that wasn't going to work or were you afraid to try that kind of material, taking the audience out of the room and onto the streets? Uh, I was never afraid to do those things because when you think of them, you you believe in them and you believe that you can make people uh, laugh through them. So it's just a case of, for me, certainly, I get nerves before I go on stage and uh, I just have to remind myself that it's about committing to what you're doing and bringing everybody with you and not leaving somebody behind. And it's this sort of slightly maniacal uh, mindset, I guess, which suits the, the onstage persona. Yeah. And is there a particular reason why you chose to do such specific timings for your show? Uh, timings as in... in the as in like, no, as in like... 39 minutes, 53 minutes. Right. Well, 39 minutes was poking fun a little bit at the the whole uh, awards for Raw, which everyone uh, gets easily wrapped up in. Um, the Edinburgh Comedy Awards are something that many people aspire to. And I think it can get in the way of creativity if that's your goal. It should be more, I believe, about trying to make as good a show as possible so they have rules and I think one of them is shows over 50 minutes are eligible to be put forward for the awards yet in the past certain acts have been nominated uh, such as Late Night Gimp Fight because I, I, you know they've had shorter length shows so I wanted to kind of state very specifically in the blurb that this was a show that could not be nominated at all. And please leave me alone. I'm just learning. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was kind of cheeky. And then the 53 minute one was building on that and saying, oh, well, you can nominate this one. It's long enough, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, some, there's some, I, I'm, I wonder if there is a, a, a show length that is the best, that delivers, you know, the best experience to an audience. I wonder if it's around the 53 minute mark. So what advice would you give to acts going up to the Edinburgh Festival and taking a show? Um, eat regularly. <laughs> it's quite exhausting, but it's good fun. I think um, I'm, I'm not sure I'm really in a position to give advice because it's all, uh, it's all down to personal experience. But things I found helpful were to realise that it's not a concrete situation. You're not going to arrive and get a perfect theatre space which is going to be able to accommodate all your wildest dreams. You have to, to a certain extent, improvise all the time and realise that the work is, is going to grow. Um, uh, yeah, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Try and find something about it you enjoy. There you go. And recently you've been gigging quite a lot around the UK and you were saying as well that when you first started out that you were gigging in Leeds and Cambridge. So how have you found that different audiences around the UK have reacted to your comedy? Uh, really well. I've been pretty fortunate. Um, in general, outside of London, people might not necessarily get to see so much uh, live comedy. And so because my act is purposefully... Uh, quite different to what uh, traditional stand-up has become um, 
I get to surprise people and excite people and that's that, you know that's an amazing experience and feeling do you have a favorite area of the country that you prefer performing in do i have a f oh goodness me um <laughs> you, you've uh, i i like it when people enjoy what i do <laughs> yeah i like uh, i like uh i do like edinburgh i like it i like the fringe and you've lived all over the world uh, including Singapore and Texas, France, and obviously the UK. And one of the great things about your style of comedy is that the visual nature of many of your jokes makes it accessible uh, to people of all ages and nationalities to understand. So have you found that having such an international upbringing and experiencing so many different cultures uh, has an effect on your comedy? Uh, good, well, interesting question. I'm I haven't sort of uh, analyzed it so deeply. Perhaps it shines through the work, but, but you know, there are certain elements um, moving all the time uh, as a, you know, growing up and having to constantly pack up your possessions and move them on perhaps comes through in that my act involves a lot of movement and I'm always carrying things to the gig and there's a real sense of, you know, this is a journey and the actual... Uh, traveling in stand-up as well is you know I find that exciting a lot of people <laughs> dread it but I I love to be on trains I love to I love this sense of adventure that comes with with doing this um, and that deeply roots me in in how I was brought up and did you perform stand-up in other countries as well yeah I've been lucky so far I've I've done some shows in Holland and uh, I know it's not another country, but some people might say so. Jersey and uh, <laughs> and France as well. And um, I'm hoping to eventually get over to Australia and South Africa and America. And did you find that you had to change your style of comedy at all or adapt any of the jokes when you were performing there? Or did you just do the same set that you would perform in the UK? I thought about it quite carefully, but I, was, I, f I discovered... When I was in Holland, I discovered that um, the audience didn't like me to physically interact with them. So I had to rely more on um, the visual one-liners or prop gags that I have or, and drawings. Uh, I'm really excited to see how audiences in other countries that I've been to might see the work. And you've also been working on several film projects recently, including Frank and The Bird, which uh, you've written with Joe Parham. And although you didn't necessarily perform in Frank, a lot of the props in the film, which play a very important part, were built and designed by you. So would you say that the style in which you make films complements your style of stand-up? Possibly. I think that might be down to an audience to decide. I love to make things. I love creative challenges. And and I think so does Joe. Joe is Joe is uh I feel first and foremost a writer and that's his craft and discipline. Uh mine has been um over the years predominantly uh drawing and 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 building stuff. Uh so we're just quite lucky to have worked together as a team that our skills complement each other and and I think our our taste in humor 
that has been explored in stand-up feeds into the films. And do you prefer performing in a, in a film setting, even if you're not necessarily on it, but the, did you prefer that sort of process or did you prefer the live experience? I like both. There's nothing quite as harrowing <laughs> as doing badly at a live gig, but there's nothing I've discovered quite as, uh, you know, that gives a great sense of elation as doing well um, within the realm of making things I'm talking about. But I am more, I think, a collaborative person than a competitive one. And I do not particularly enjoy the competitive element uh, that comes with the community in stand-up. I, I really enjoy working with people, um, trying to remove ego from the project and trying to end up with uh, making choices that result in the best possible um, realization of, of what you're trying to do. So I'd love to continue making films, especially with Joe. We'll see how it goes. And you studied product design when you were at university. So do you feel that studying a degree like that has had a real effect on the way that you create comedy and art? Yeah, for me it has because product design is learning uh, how to make something completely. Um, and by that I mean you explore every element of, of a product and how it interacts with people. And I see uh, my shows as um, inventions, as constructions. I construct them um, and I use a similar method to make them that I learned uh, whilst I was at design school, yeah. And do you have a favorite type of audience to perform to? A favorite type? One that, uh, one that goes with it, that enjoys it if it's good. One that I connect with. I think uh, it's always good to connect with people. That's, that's, that's why I'm doing this. And have you found that, for example, when you were performing at Comedy Club for Kids, that you prefer performing to children? Or, and did they, did they get your comedy? Did you feel they, they got it in the same way as adults? I, I'm not sure. I haven't performed to kids that much. I want to do it more because it's a real challenge for me. I find that I've learned more from them. They, in my opinion, dictate how they want the gig to go. They're not there to sit and listen or they haven't paid to, um, you know, they're not on their one night out on the week and everything needs to go well. They're kind of bought by their parents and, and they're, you know, they're in their own world. They've got their own rules and you have to enter that and figure out, you know, how you can be, you know, how you can be the idiot of the moment that they can all laugh at. And do you have a favourite type of venue that you prefer performing in? Oh gosh, all these uh, all these questions about favourite things. I'm not sure I've thought about it too deeply. A favourite type of venue? I've I've always enjoyed gigging it up the creek in in South London in Greenwich. Uh, I th I think gigs that are have got well, it's the classic thing of low ceiling, dark room slightly damp reeking of beer or you know uh, there's this room in um, Tufnell Park I can't remember what it's called Torriano's which is like this basement under a bar and it's just <laughs> it's properly grim but it's really it's just it's very punk rock it's pretty cool to do that gig it's uh, you know you do feel like uh, you know this is what it's about 
Yeah. And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comics? You'll you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and do you have any tips or advice for students? Um, look after your teeth. Dentists are increasingly getting more expensive, and who knows? We might not have an NHS in a few years, but you only get one set of teeth. So irrelevant whatever you're, whatever you're doing outside of looking after your teeth, don't neglect that. Get a disciplined routine. Figure out which which toothbrushes respect your gums. Figure out you know which uh, toothpastes aren't going to erode your na- enamel. Use floss regularly. I would say twice a day. Look after your teeth. Okay. Don't. If I hear that you're not looking after your teeth, I will find you. Okay. All right, do it. Don't let me down. <laughs>